and the first three people, or the last three people to come. Dear Spirit, be blessed as you are. Why don't you stand with me? How's life? Life good? First class back of the new year. We took a month and a half long sabbatical. It was long. It was difficult. <laughs> for me, not for y'all. <laughs> oh man, but it's good to be back. I'm excited to uh, figure out what sermons I might are blasphemous or not in a safe place, like was in the So, um, hope life's been good for you. This Friday, we're going to have Coffee and Christ. There's no coffee or Coffee and Christ, just, just Christ. Just, I don't know why we changed the name. Christ and Christ. Just Christ and Christ. So, sometimes we do ice cream, but that won't probably be this, one, this Friday. Welcome, sister. You know, Brethren, what, it's just brethren. There's not, we need to come up with a word for that. Yeah, this Friday at 7 o'clock, we're going to have Coffee in Christ. There's two speakers, and then after that, we're going to break into teams that I will pre-select, and each member will get a certain portion of the sermon that they construct. It's not going to be crazy. I'm going to help you out. It should be fun. They're going to make friends and lose friends. I hope there's going to be crying. You know, like those reality like cooking shows or something? <laughs> They're crying. Hoping we have some major breakdowns. Actually, it'd be hilarious to vlog it. That'd be fantastic. And edit it like it's like a, you know, like a competition. And then, like, you can spice together, like, in an unrealistic way. Like, it makes you look like you actually were panicking. So we'll figure it out. Okay. Why don't you lift your hands and your hearts with me. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this Wednesday. We thank you for the people next to us. We thank you for your word. And in Jesus' name, help us understand you more. Jesus, name we said, we pray. The church says, Amen. May be seated. Okay. Welcome, wife of mine. Would you make way down the front? Is it loud? Did people bust into tears as soon as dad hit the platform? No. Glory to God, he's back in the house. Wait, no, he didn't get up there though, and they took his crutch and he handed it to Russell. Like, <laughs> not that. Like, yeah, he was like a mind. He's like, I don't know. Oh, man. So he just docked five minutes. Yeah, he said, crutch, he goes 25 minutes without crutch. He was like, I need to go ahead and get going, so I don't think you will. Okay, we're going to start tonight. Uh, I just find you something, okay? This sermon, all the content, all the stories, all the verses, I'm going to use for two sermons with totally different endpoints, okay? So I'm going to preach you today, and I'm going to lead to one side of the Revelation application. Next week, I'm going to preach the same stories, the same verses to a totally deeper side, okay? This week, I'm going to deal with the connecting of your intentions, who you are on the inside, and who you want to be on the outside, connecting your actions and your intentions. And then we're going to deal with next week how that plays out in the family, plays out in the church, plays out in the culture of the church, the role of male and female, how it all plays out, okay? So, but I'm going to try not to get into that tonight for the sake of him going slow, and I just want you to understand what I'm saying. So, there's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, Paul says, I want to warn you, people in the last days are going to have the appearance of godliness, but deny the power therein. Which means they're going to look like God, but they're not going to have a heart for God. They're not going to have right intentions, but they're going to look right on the outside and do the right, even the right things. But they're going to, it's going to be empty works, okay? The Jewish people lived this way. They did everything right on paper, but they had wrong hearts. And Jesus was saying you have to have a good heart, not just right, right actions on the outside. But it also says something important. It says that godliness has an actual appearance. Modern Christianity preaches this. 
that godliness, that holiness, that purity is just about some inward ambiguous state of existence. It's just emotions. Purity is something that can't be grasped. Godliness is something that can't be grasped. There's, there's no wrong action or right action. There's no wrong way to dress or right way to dress. No wrong way to live or right way to live. Outward world doesn't matter. It's just what you, what you reach for on the inside. Holiness, godliness. They make God's attributes ambiguous. But God doesn't just have his intentions. God doesn't just have his desires. God also has an appearance. That's hard for a God that you don't see. But you notice how much God expresses what he thinks and what he desires. His intentions, his, his impulses, what makes him tick. But he also describes how he looks a lot. Isn't that amazing? And he also says that how you look shows how he looks. And how you act shows how he thinks. We can't just show God's power. We have to show God's appearance. And we can't just show God's appearance. We have to show his power. What good is it to look holy on the outside and look like we're changed by God but not have his heart or his mind? But the modern Christian movement say we can have his heart, his mind, his power, but not have the appearance of godliness. There's this heart of God, and there's also the appearance of God, and you have to have both. You have to have both. You have to have the intentions and have the application. Timothy, in 1 Timothy, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he's helping him teach his people about how to live right. He said, men, I want you to have clean hands and, and, and a clean heart. I want you to pray everywhere. He said, women, I want you to have modest apparel and not have bling in your hair like crazy. Okay? But was that meaning that men could just dress immodestly? Even though he didn't say to men about their dress? No. Did that mean that women could like have dirty hands and a dirty heart? No. Why did he just direct it towards men and direct one thing towards women? Holiness applies to us all the same way. The same nakedness of the thigh, the, the same ideas of, of right and wrong, all that, we live it too. It's just culture hasn't attacked the image of the man as it has attacked the image of the woman. We still live the same rules, outwardly and inwardly. But God knows something that every man knows, is that the inward condition of a man affects his outward actions. That's why God says, pray, guard your heart. That's where a man is weak and where a man is strong. So he hits that man's focal point. With women, God knows that... Her outward appearance, how she views herself, her self-worth, a lot of it's tied up in how she perceives herself. How she perceives herself directs how she carries herself, how she dresses herself, and how she then feels inside. It's like this. All holiness applies to all of us, but God knows if I can fix a man's heart, I can fix his actions, his outward life. But God knows the woman if I can fix how she acts on the outside, if I can make her feel beautiful, but also protect her with modesty on the outside, then I can help her with her heart. It's just vice versa. He knows that our identities start in different places, but all end up the same place. For instance, a woman's sexuality, a woman's body is not wrong. It's not wrong if you want to be beautiful or attracted or any of those things. It's just the context matters. In marriage, the appearance of a woman is a gift for that marriage, and it's a gift that she can feel good about. She wants to feel pretty. She wants to be attracted. But it's just in the right context. But Christianity sometimes has tried to constrain it so much that you think, like you feel guilty that you want to be pretty or you want your husband to think that you're fine. Amen. Wasn't good, didn't land? Okay. It's not wrong. It's just in the right context. So God knows if I can make Adam have a clean heart and pray, because men have a hard time praying. Women don't have a hard time praying out loud. Men do. 
If I can make Adam be clean on the inside, he'll be a good Adam on the outside. And if I can make Eve live and live safely on the outside, she'll be a good Eve for Adam on the inside. So you see this play out. Okay? You see this play out. So it's like the man represents the intentions. It represents the heart. It represents the, 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 the leading of God. And the woman represents, is always represented the image of God's nature. Now, men were supposed to live right, act right, outwardly, inwardly, we reflect God. 1 Corinthians 11 says that man was made in the image of God and woman was made in the image of man. Okay? But it says when man and woman are together, they become one flesh. In the Bible, every time God describes if a nation is godly or not godly, their heart, their intentions, how does he describe them? He describes them like a woman. He says, I see Babylon, and I can't give you a whole list of all their wrongs and all their rights. So let me just describe it in the imagery of a woman. He said, I see this woman, and she has painted her face, her eyelids, she's put on jewelry, and she's uncovering her nakedness to seduce a neighboring nation, to get involved in wrong things, to become pagan. He's saying, I can show you what a nation looks like by describing to you it, how, if it was a woman, how it would dress and act and live. The outward appearance shows the inward state of being. And it isn't funny, though. You can tell someone's a nomination by how their wives or their daughters dress. I can tell if you're Muslim. I can tell if you're Pentecostal. I can tell a lot. You can tell a lot about a culture, the moral fabric of the culture, by how the women are treated and how they're valued. Now, men... We still have the same things, but and we still obey the same rules, but it hasn't changed that much for us. You could go to any workplace of the last hundred years and poll men, and we all can look the same. It hasn't attacked us. But every ten years, the imagery of a woman and what is valuable and what you should feel is feminine or not is changing like every five years now. Now, anything associated with femininity is sexist or it's bigotry. If you think having a baby, if you think being feminine, if you think wearing this or that, that, that you're just belittling yourself, you're, you're being taken out by the man, it's just men suppressing women, they've robbed and manipulated the image of the woman. What it's doing is it's affecting the image of God. He's expressing his holiness primarily through a man's heart and through a woman's image. Because God doesn't just have a heart, he has an appearance. And he says, man, you reflect my image, but she also reflects your image. For instance, I can believe all I want, but how she lives and acts shows more about what I believe than what my heart thinks. So in a way, she shows more accurately what I believe. I can say I believe a thing as a husband, but if she lives a counter way, then I really don't believe it. Notice how you can tell how a church believes, no matter what they say, how the women act and live. A culture. You can tell what this culture believes, right? We say we have good intentions. We say all these things, but... We've sexualized women. It's supposed to be freedom. It's supposed to be liberation. It's supposed to empower women. But yet, you've never been more sexualized in human history. You have to seduce. You have to present yourself a certain way. I was reading makeup advertisements at the little Sally store we're at. And I love it. To, to get you to wear makeup, they said, um, I'm more than a shade. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Amen. Like, I don't, well, you're... Oh, you want them to wear it by saying that? Oh, okay. And then I, I saw the other one. It said, releasing your hidden beauty. I was like, wait a second. You have to cover up who you are, how God made you to release this hidden beauty. It seems counterintuitive. They're doing it to men because how a man acts and thinks on the inside shows God's heart. And how a woman appears on the outside shows God's image. 
So a man, you protect and show God's intentions, and she protects God's glory, his image. Did it not say that her hair uncut gives her power among angels? Did it not say that it shows when she has uncut hair, she has authority, and that it shows that she's submitted in the church structure it works? There's God, there's Jesus, there's husband, there's wife, there's man, there's woman. And if she has uncut hair, she honors her head, the man, and also honors God. He's saying your appearance is what holds the imagery of God. And a man's heart is what holds the intentions of God. Notice this. I haven't lost you yet. Abraham goes into Egypt because of a famine. He's in the place God put him, Canaan. God does not want him to leave. You know how God doesn't want him to leave? I know this because his son Isaac does the same thing. A famine hits. He goes to leave the promised land. And God said, don't go to Egypt. Y'all got this problem. I know being godly is hard. I know being different is challenging, but you can't just run to the culture every time it gets scary to be holy or scary to be separate. So Abraham thought it's a little isolating to be different. Different opinions, different dress, different things, different habits, different places I go. So in the moment of this trial, I'm going to go to Egypt. Isn't it funny how many people lost their faith during COVID? Like, how many people lost their identities during COVID? Because it jarred and it got scary to be different, so you had to embrace the culture fully. I don't mean you had to go to McDonald's or you had to go to work. I mean you embrace the ideas of the culture, the standards of the culture. Because it gets scary sometimes to believe in a God that's holding the world when the world's falling apart. Well, Abraham's there. He goes to Egypt to find safety in this wrong culture. But how he works it out, he says, Hey, Sarah, you can't tell them that I'm your husband because I want them to be nice to me. You're really pretty, so they may kill me. But it wasn't just about that. He wanted them to deal kindly with him, the Bible says. So they show up, and Sarah must have been really good looking. okay? Because all the princes of Egypt were freaking out, and Pharaoh brought her into his house. He had done nothing wrong yet, hadn't married her yet, but he just brought her in. It was like he was just, you know, courting. And they began to give Abraham donkeys and cattle and everything. And Abraham accepted it. Because Abraham's thinking, I'm in a bad time. I want to have the safety of the culture. But what it cost him was his identity. He had to lie. I'm... Abraham, the father of many nations, I'm not that. We're not married. She's not Sarah, noble woman, the word means. We're not together. He thought, I can be of God and have right intentions and hide by not appearing like God, by not being godly on the outside. Because it's not really about what you do. It's about what you feel or about what your hopes or intentions are. I can engage in this culture and partake of what they do because I know what my heart is. It's okay. So Abraham's trying to hide. He's trying to be an Egyptian but keep a, a Jewish heart. And he can't do it. But notice who gets the, the brunt of this effect. In order to engage in the culture and find safety in it, he exchanges his identity, but he really exchanges the identity of his wife. She's not mine. He keeps doing his thing. He keeps being at, at the tent, working, taking cattle. She gets swept off. He let his wife be swept off. Here's how you know if a culture is right or wrong, if a church is right or wrong, if a movement is right or wrong, what does it do to the woman? Because the woman is the image bearer of God's glory, and man, you're the carer of God's intentions. Abraham can lie to himself, say, I still am the father. I'm just going to be okay. I won't stay in Egypt very long, and, 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 and we're okay here. It's safe. We're being blessed. But if it compromises the identity of the female, then it's a wrong culture, wrong church, wrong idea. She's been sexualized. He let his wife be sexualized. So he could find comfort in the job or comfort. When people leave the church, the man may look the same three years from now, but the wife looks totally different. The son may look the same three years from now, but the, woman, but the daughter looks totally different. 
And it's, it's, it's back in the 60s when everybody still dressed modestly. You could say, well, you know, they're still good people. But there's nobody out in the world that is not falling prey to the sexualization of the woman and the polluting of the image of God's glory. Everybody in the world, you have to accept some of the depreciation towards your daughter or your wife or yourself. You can't engage in Egypt without Egypt sexualizing you. From the way you dress to the way you carry yourself to how you head. Ever, it's, it's a fallen culture and a wrong idea and a corrupted Christianity will always use the female as the currency of his carnality. It always costs the woman something. The man sitting there, I'm still Abraham, but my wife was swept off. It doesn't make any sense. But what is the first thing that happens when a church wants to feel more comfortable among other churches? They don't change me and you, our hearts. We change how they dress and how they act. That's how we find more comfort. What do you... Families, one day you'll be tempted. As husbands especially, you want to relate to co-workers. You want the safety of being like other people. But to gain that in Egypt, you're going to have to tell your wife it's okay to be a different way. To live a different way. And you may be able to protect your heart, but she's being subjected to the world. To Egypt. Well, plagues start to hit Egypt. And they're like, wait, something's wrong. Okay, usually doesn't, the sky usually doesn't fall around here. What's going on? They run to Abraham and say, Abraham, I think you lied to us. Yeah, she's my wife. He said, well, you've got to leave. Why would you do this to us? These plagues are going to kill us. And it hit me. The first time that plagues hit Egypt wasn't because of Moses and Egypt's sin. It was because a child of God tried to keep your intentions without right actions. The first time plagues messed up the world, because a child of God thought, I can be godly on the inside, but not be godly on the outside. I can say my heart's right, but I can act improperly. See, you can't just think like God. You have to appear like God. See, sometimes Christianity gets ambiguous. We just have to have the heart of God. You do, but you have to have the appearance of God. God said this is how a man looks. This is how a woman looks. And this is how a man thinks and how a woman thinks. Modern culture is trying to separate God's heart and get rid of the image. But God still wants us to show him through imagery, through proper action, how we carry ourselves, our homes, our families. Because I really know what you believe by what you do, right? And how you live and how you act. But it doesn't matter if you wear this or that, or if you have this in your arm or that or this. You don't know my heart, but God is saying that's never been the case. You can't have just the power of Godness. You have to have the appearance and vice versa. Isaac, his son, does the same thing. You know, Abraham did this twice. He kept getting problems. Every time something happened, he wanted to get comfortable and it sacrificed his identity, his appearance, and it hit his wife. I'm not just speaking to the struggles with the church and holiness, with females. I'm not even just speaking to the struggles that females find in our world. I'm speaking even more individually to every one of us have a battle between our inward intentions and our outward action. We have a battle between having a godly heart but also having a godly life. We have to correlate the two. That's the real fight. But the bigger macro scale is you see our culture and churches are losing it because the man trying to keep his hands clean but pornography, entertainment, not only has addicted man, it's inebriated man, it's made man feel like he can't lead or guide, it distracted him. What did it do? It attacked his heart, his insides. Man's made the image of God. You're the leader, Adam. You protect my intentions. You sow my will. And she represents my image, my glory. My holiness, my godliness. What attacks the females outside? Isn't that weird how culture is so designed? 
They haven't changed how you dress. They've changed how you feel about yourself on the inside. They've changed what you look at and what you're addicted to. But they've changed how you dress. They haven't attacked your heart at first. They attack how you feel pretty and what you think will get you along in life. What you think is acceptable. Every 10 years it changes because then they get your heart. Then they get your life. That's why Paul said, men, let me fix your heart. Women, let me fix your image. Because if I can fix the heart of the man, I can fix the image of the man. If I can fix the image of the woman, I can protect the heart of the woman. Isaac does the same thing. Famine happens. He gets scared. Exchanges his wife. I'm, we're not married. We're, we're not different. He exchanges his wife. Exchanges his appearance. Exchanges his identity. But still thinks I can protect my intentions. But you can't do it. You can't be in the wrong place and the wrong things and still have the right heart. Your outward life does affect your inward heart. You, you, they're, they're one in the same. They have to be linked together. So for instance... God names Abraham father of many. He upgrades Sarah's name from Sarai, which means princess, to Sarah means woman of honor. You know, first you go from a tiara, princess, then you become a woman of honor. He's calling them things they're not yet, though. Sarah doesn't really believe in God, that, that God's going to give her a baby. She laughs at God. And Abraham's not a father of anybody, but he calls, God calls him something he's not yet. See, there's an interesting moment that happens. When you know what you are on the inside and what you are on the outside, and they don't link. See, only God can call you something you're not yet to help you become that. We can't do it. How many of you said, have tried affirmations? I am strong. I am buff. I am confident. It doesn't work. Because you're speaking things you're not. You, no matter what you feel on the inside, you're not that on the outside. That's like the battle of the world right now. People self-identify with certain things. But they're not that on the outside. But only God can... Call you something before you are that thing to help you get there. That's how you know you're going to be okay if it's grounded in the word, if God told you that. So when you see, hear God say you're going to be victorious if you do these things, then you do those things and you become victorious. He said you're going to be a father, you're going to be a mother. Father and mother. Adam and Eve are the same thing. Adam, man. Eve, mother of all. It said that the, the relationship between man and woman, man and women, represents something online. Jesus... His bride is the church. Notice that. Jesus' bride, husband, wife. Adam, Eve, husband, wife. Abraham, Sarah, husband, wife. It all goes together. What does Jesus do? He gives you, it's called the seed of life. He starts life in you. What does he say to the church? Grow it, nurture it, continue it, endure in it. What does a father do? A father starts life. What does a mother do? She grows it, nurtures it, in the womb and out of the womb. There's a big debate upon what a woman's ministry is in the church. It says, no, submit, subject authority over a man, right? Every time someone ministers, though, a female, it always names like Philip's daughters prophesied to Paul. Deborah, the husband of so-and-so. It always is quick to name her husband or her father when she ministers. Why? It's just trying to let you know that doesn't mean you can't have a ministry. You just got to have an Adam, right? So what is the role of a woman? What is, why give you ministry? Why give you gifts of the Spirit? What is he doing? Whether you get married or not, God has always called the female to a role of nurturing. It's not sexist. It's not belittling. Because no matter what came to life, if no one nurtures it, it dies. See, as a female, you protect the identity of this church. It doesn't matter what we started out as, how you live and act shows what we really are. It doesn't matter what he and I believe, what we believe about holiness, how we ask y'all to live and how you live shows what we really believe. See, y'all are the gatekeepers. 
God called the people of Israel a garden. He said, I have walls to protect and I have growth on the inside. What he was saying was, I have a heart in the middle and I have holiness on the outside protecting it. Females, you're the nurturers. You keep it alive. And God asked the man to follow him and lead. That's why Adam's the head of the home, the first pastor. That's why it still says the man's the head of the home, the first pastor. It doesn't mean you don't have a ministry female. It means that you're called to nurture, to keep alive, to grow. It's actually a bigger task a lot of times than starting it. Father deals with conception, the female deals with nurturing it. So Sarah has to grow the miracle baby. Sarah has to protect it. Mary, God took care of the conception, Mary had to grow it. She had to endure, she had to keep it alive. There's an interesting point whenever Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is told by God, she said, hey, I'm noticing something weird, I was barren and now I have a baby bump. Not only that, they're fighting, they're freaking out. Am I going to die? What's happening here? And he said, well, the, your two sons are fighting amongst themselves inside your belly. And here's my will. Here's what's going to happen. The younger son, Jacob, is going to rule over the older son, Esau. That's the will of God. Rebecca goes, okay. She gives birth. Okay. In custom, Esau, the oldest son, would always have ruled. Had the money, had the family. He's in charge. Younger son, just going to follow suit. But God said this will not happen that way. So here's the destination. God's will. Jacob's has the birthright, Esau doesn't. She's given the conception of a child through her husband and through God because of miracle, miracle babies. But she's been tasked to nurture them and raise them. Notice how she does it, though. She's nurturing them, and one of them is called Deceiver. Jacob's name in their language means Deceiver. It says she loved Jacob, and the father loved Esau. There was a split home. That's not a lot, very good nurturing, isn't it? If one parent loves one child more than the other, you have a bad home. And then, one child, Esau, it says that he gave a bowl of his birthright bowl of stew because he was sexually immoral. He had no impulse control. He was just addicted. He had no control over his flesh. Well, you can't blame everything on the parents, but Esau, you know, he's a little messed up. I wonder if it's his home life. Jacob's lying and ripping people off. And not only that, his mama helped him do it. She helped him put on fur, told him what to say. Are you kidding me? Listen, here's the thing. Jacob becomes the ruler. So God's will is accomplished, but she does it in a sinful way. Did God approve? No. See, the Bible says that God cannot tempt anybody. God cannot use sin, for God has tempted no man. So how did they accomplish God's will, but they did in a bad way? What they did was, is they had the appearance, or they, had, they tried to accomplish God's power, but they didn't do it in a way that looked like God. So they got to the same end point, thinking the ends justify the means. But Rebecca nurtured that family and nurtured these kids. She may have got Jacob there to have the birthright, but she didn't do it in a way that looked like God. She had his will, but she didn't have his appearance. See, that's what the modern church says sometimes. We still speak in tongues. We still cry tears. But you, you have his will, but you, you don't look like God. That's the first thing that's going to happen to your heart when you feel like you, you want to let go. I have good intentions, but you've got to look at your fruits. That's why when Jacob left, God said, we got to stop. Come to Jesus' moment. It's nighttime. We've got to fix some stuff. I know you're at the right place, but you're out here the wrong way. You've had a bad nurturer. What I'm saying is, individually, God's going to give you things and good intentions, but you've got to nurture it the right way. You've got to look like God in your using of God's stuff. But I'm saying as a church and as a culture and as families, 
You can't just say you have the heart of God because you feel the Spirit or you say these some of the verses. You've got to look like God too. Because when you get married in your home and the church you're going to be a part of, it shows God's glory. We hold the heart and ladies, you hold the image. It's a very important thing that you have to have both involved. You have to protect both of it. They have to nurture it the right way. Your ministry is still nurtured, but you've got to nurture it the right way. The last thing I'll share with you tonight, so I can tell I'm having more fun than you are. After they sin, Adam and Eve, they get kicked out. Did you know that Adam didn't name Eve? Eve didn't have a name in the garden before they sinned. He was just called woman, which makes me tend to believe that they weren't there very long. We've talked about this a lot, how long were they there. You all know I don't believe they're there a long time. I think this adds to it because I don't think Adam's so heartless to live with his wife without a name for thousands of years. It'd be kind of stupid. God tasked Adam to name everything. He had named his wife yet. That's why I think Adam and Eve, God created Adam, God created Eve, and like the next day, Eve's new, you know, trusting an angel that worked there at one point. She makes a mistake. She was deceived. Adam wasn't. Adam's a new husband, and he's really bad at it. See, Adam has the heart of God, the intentions of God, and he protects the appearance of God. See, what happens is you're supposed to have a good heart, and that makes you have good intentions. Well, Adam didn't have a good heart, and so his wife, she acted out wrong action. They get kicked out. There's bad things going on. But then it says, and after God said, why'd you sin? He said, it was the woman you gave me. You thought he was just being mean. He actually didn't have a name for you. He just called her woman. It wasn't derogatory. It was just what she was called. <laughs> we have a running joke about this. And God missed out all the punishment. And you think Adam's not going to own up for his mistakes. And God missed out everything. And he's throwing more shade at the woman. Adam was not deceived. Eve was. He's like, listen, pain and childbearing. And, and, and your husband, you're going to have different opinions, but you're going to have to be subjected to him. He just unloaded into it. And you think, man, this, this new marriage is not going to make it because she's really been punished. And she has this fragile self-image right now because she messed stuff up. And he wasn't the leader he needed to be. And as soon as they get kicked out, you can see how resentment can be formed. Adam looks at Eve like, you never listen to me. You don't respect me. I tell you, and you don't back me up. You say something different to the kids? <laughs> That's not your family at all, does it? And he's like, you never listen to me. You just keep talking, 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 talking. Can we eat the fruit? Can we not talk, talk? You never listen. Cry all the time. You can see how this plays out in everyday life. But then he looks at Eve, without saying any of those things. He says, I'm going to call you Eve. Eve means mother of all. And in that moment, you got to imagine that was big for them. Because Adam could have said a lot of things, be somewhere else and nothing else. I'm just going to name you something you're not yet. Before she gives birth to a single baby, I'm going to prescribe a solid, amazing identity upon you. Now, Adam and Eve, Adam's going to lead this family. Adam's going to cause life, and Eve's going to carry it and nurture it. The only God can do it's the only God can bridge you have good intentions, you have right action. Only God can bridge that gap for you. And God's word, He calls you things you're not yet. And most times that happen, people laughed at God. They're not dead, they're sleeping. They laughed at God. Abraham, you're a father. He laughed. I don't have a kid yet. My life's old. But when God says things, you've got to follow God's plan. Because he will take you from I have good intentions to I have the right appearance. Sometimes you'll enter into life where you have. The right appearance, but your heart's not in it anymore. It's a dance of calibration. 
And so in this convoluted sermon, I'm trying to get you to understand that your individual struggle and fight to have a good heart and a godly appearance is not just about you. It will blossom into the greater imagery of male and female in culture and male and female in our church. It represents everything. A, a, it starts out, if I have a failed walk with God with myself, it looks a lot like a failed marriage. It all plays in together because you're two sides of the same whole. Even when you're not married, God says that the man represents one thing for me and the woman represents another thing for me. And you can't lose that. You can't lose that. And so I, I want you to protect your heart. I want you to protect your image because we're showing two sides of the same whole. We want the power of God's godliness but we also want the appearance of it as well. And then when you walk with life, make sure I, I don't prescribe so much this ambiguous emotion called intention. I, I'm also what I present myself to be. That seems so, you know, every Disney movie says, you know, it's not what you do, it's what you feel. Your identity is deeper, it's more intrinsic. That is not really true. <laughs> they're, they're tethered so tightly. They're tethered so tightly. God judged the nation by its appearance and by its heart, vice versa. God shared his heart and also shared his heart look. And when God looks at every one of us, he also judges the same thing. How do you think and how do you act? How do you talk to me? How do you look? Same thing. Okay. Why don't you stand with me? I think we have some cake because it's someone's birthday or something. Listen, I'm posting the podcast. Go back, think about it, listen to it. I know it's a lot. I tried to cut it short. I wish I had taken a series about it. I'm kind of tired of series. Go back, think about it. Really think about it. Search it out. I can't preach the holiness series every three months. It just takes too much out of me. Go back, study your notes, research it for yourself. Understand what you are and what you're doing for God, because it's very. It's, I'm telling you, it's so easy how quick these ideas can hit in your head, especially when you failed yourself over and over and over again. What you want to do is you just want to. Cut off your outside life and just cleave to your inside intentions because you think you never can be godly on the outside. Or you want to hide behind looking godly on the outside and think your insides can never be right too. I, I, I'm trying to help you understand that it's a cohesive unit. And I want you to understand too is that it's that failure with the individual that determines the failure of our culture. We want a culture of just I am what I do and I'm not what I look like. It's a culture that just wants an Adam and wants to destroy Eve. What does Eve do now? And Eve says, I don't want your baby, Adam. We can have abortion. I, I don't want to stay with you because we can have divorce. I, I want to create things. And honestly, the culture is telling females, you can look like a man, do what a man does. Even to look like a female is sexist now. Why? Destroying the image, the appearance of God in us. It's coming after our hearts. Y'all can't see it, but it's coming after your image, and we all can see it. Well, everybody can start something. The father starts the conception. The woman nurtures it. What is culture trying to take from you? It's trying to take away your nurturing. Because it says it's belittling to nurture something. It's not worthy. It's bigotry to make a man, to allow a man to make you nurture something. But that's what God made us to do. That's what God made us to do. I don't want your baby, Adam. I want to have the same haircut as you, Adam. I want to dress the way you do, Adam. Because I don't want to nurture. I don't want to be submitted. Because we think it's bad. It's not. It's life. It's life. You show God's appearance, and by His grace, we men show His intention in His heart. We start the ministries. That's how it is. But the woman nurtures and carries it. That's why you have a male pastor, Adam. But there was prophetess and judges, and 
Because you nurture, you bring the life you protect. So in the words of wise men, hope you feel good about you. Why don't you look Jasmine? God, I thank you for your love and your grace and your word. Give us a heart to hear. God, give us a burden for truth. Help us seek you and find you, God. Help us ask honest questions and help us seek you diligently. God, there's more things at play than just everyday survival. We're fighting for our culture and how we live affects that. Everything from our heart to our families, to our church, to our nation, it's all connected. Let us show you rightly. Let us be godly inside and outside. In Jesus' name we pray and the church says, Amen. Be friendly. Shake hands. Eat a cupcake. Hey everybody. Hi, how are you? Oh, I thought some of y'all <laughs> would be working the media and stuff. I did not expect there to be this many people in here. But um, so if there's a special someone you want to share a cupcake with, I highly encourage it. How big are the cupcakes? <laughs> they're, they're big. I have cupcakes and cookies. I just if I see Morris and Silas sharing a cupcake, I'm going to have questions. Don't feel so bad. I just realized that was every single one of our customers. I'm asking you to turn the phone in the software that costs more than $100 million. I have to turn it to the sign up for that. What is my tuition for an online course that already has its own little how can you be a professor and you know, like, not that's called use you know, what is provided by the Well, if they're part of my family, I'm afraid it's going to be a little I know. That, that, that's Although, stupid. some of my part of it is that they have to uh, sign up for it. Oh, my phone. You're going to have your own phone.